0: Coming up on this week's podcast. Remain in me. His point is that you are always and ongoingly connected to me. He's not talking about losing salvation. He's talking about developing a relationship of intimacy with the Lord and a dependency upon him. So that by depending upon him, living for him, living with him, empowered by him, will produce the kind of fruit he produced himself. Stay tuned for more. Welcome to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a vibrant church committed to biblically based teaching, often focusing on discovering the Jewish roots of the faith. You can find out more about our church at newhopechapel.org. Now, here's Gary Jaroszynski with today's message. Well, okay, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15. It is now 12 o'clock, so um, our services are usually done by 12 or so, so, you know, we don't go on and on and on. But anyway, in chapter 15 of John, uh, the seven I am statements. You know, the gospel of John is very interesting in that you have the seven discourses, teachings, that uh, John records, seven signs, seven miracles that he records, and you've got the seven uh, "I am" statements that are also found. And then you have this, isn't it the seven words from the cross as well, uh, are the things that John records. Now in chapter 15, he says, "I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that bears fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and I will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This section really revolves around two primary issues. Take a look at verse three, uh, verse four. Two primary issues. Number one, or oh, I should say verse four, yeah. Um, two issues. One is what it means to be a disciple of our Lord. And the second thing that he points out is the need to bear fruit. He says, remain in me, and no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And then if you come down to verse 8, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, you show yourselves to be my disciples. So when he says that I am the vine, it's coming in the context in which he wants his listeners, in this case these disciples, but all of us, To understand what it means to be a disciple and what he desires of us as disciples, namely to bear much fruit. I think it's really neat. He talks about fruit, no fruit, much fruit. And so the Lord wants us not to just bear fruit, but to bear much fruit. How? Without me, you can do nothing. There's another thing that comes up here in this section. Six times the phrase in me is reiterated. And so that's another primary theme in this passage. I want you to be my disciples. I want you to be much fruit bearers. And the way to do that is by connecting with me. It must be in me. This is sort of like comparable to Paul's phrase, in Christ, in Messiah. And that phrase comes up all the time in Paul's letters. And the whole focus is that connecting to the Lord himself, being one with him remain in me over and over again he says but who is he he tells us at the front end i am the vine the true vine he says my father is the vine dresser or the gardener and the lord that is my father is the one tending to his vine now let's just step back a moment he says i am the true vine when he says that i'm the true vine he does not mean as opposed to false vines when he says that I am the true vine, he means to say I am the authentic vine. I am the final vine. I am the vine of all vines that there are. I am that vine that you are to place your faith and trust in or that you are to be connected to. This is much like what John records earlier when he says I am the true light that comes into the world lighting every man's uh, heart. It's like what the writer to the Hebrews says, that the Lord Jesus is the true tabernacle. And here he says, I am the true vine. Now, when he makes reference to the vine, he's definitely thinking of Israel. Because the vine is the symbol of Israel and used figuratively for Israel all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. In fact, today, it's one of the symbols for the land of Israel. Why? Because you remember when the spies were sent out, they came back with the evil report, the negative report, that we cannot take the land except for Joshua and Caleb, you remember? But they carried back with them evidence of just how wonderful the land is, flowing with milk and honey. And that evidence was this giant cluster of grapes that they placed on like a spit and the two guys carried on their shoulders. And when they brought it back, it was a symbol of just how fruitful this land is. And today, it's one of the symbols, like the menorah, it's a symbol for the people of Israel. But it comes right out of the Hebrew Scriptures. Let me take you on a little tour of this. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. But in Isaiah chapter 5, for example, Isaiah writes, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it up and cleared it of stones, planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it, cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard that I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall. It will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. And briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel and the men of Judah. And so Isaiah uses the imagery of the vine to symbolize the people of Israel. He's not the only one. If you turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. You'll see in Jeremiah chapter 2, things around verse 21 or so, 20, he says, Long ago you you broke off your yoke, tore off your bonds. You said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill, under every spreading tree, you laid down as a prostitute. I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt, wild vine? If you take a look at Ezekiel chapter 15, The prophet Ezekiel says the same thing. He uses the same imagery. If I can get there. Ezekiel chapter 15. He says. He says. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man. How is the wood of a vine better than that of a branch? Or any of the trees in the forest? Is it wood ever taken from it to make anything useful? Do they make pegs from it to hang on it? And his whole point is. Israel has not become a useful vine to the Lord as he had intended it to be. You can look at Ezekiel chapter 19. He uses the imagery again. If you look at verse 10, your mother was like a vine in your vineyard planted by the water. It was fruitful, full of branches because of abundant water. Its branches were strong, fit for a ruler's separate, scepter, a towered high. Verse 12, but it was uprooted in fury and thrown to the ground. You can look at Hosea, one of the minor prophets. Hosea chapter 10, he says the same thing in verse 1. Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, he built more altars. Rather than to be submitted to God, they began to worship more and more idols. And one of the most pa- fascinating passages, one of my favorite psalms, is Psalm 80. And in Psalm 80, verse 1, it says, "Hero, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. But if you go down to verse 8, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared ground for it and it took root, filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. Why, verse 12, have you broken down its walls? So that all who pass by pick its grapes. All these are images of Israel as a vine. But what is disturbing about the image is that in every case, the vine is a wild vine. The vine has not submitted itself to God. The vine has not grown or produced the kind of fruit that God had intended for Israel to produce. And now in John chapter 15, Jesus stands up among his disciples. And remember, this is at the Passover. This is part of the uh, upper room discourse, you might say. We're not sure at what point he's saying these words, but it's the context of Passover. And he says, I am that true vine. I am like the true Israelite, the one among my own people who does bear the kind of fruit that my father would want to be born and the kind of fruit that my father wants to be produced. I am the true vine. And thus, if we're going to produce fruit, And that's his concern, that we be his disciples. And as his disciples, we're to bear much fruit. It's much like what Jesus said earlier, they will know that you are my disciples by their love one for another. And that's Bryce's concern when he goes out to Laos or to Laos, that they will see the fruit of the presence of the Lord in his and Erica and other believers' lives so that they will know it is of God. This is why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, they may see your good fruit, and as a result to glorify their Father who is in heaven. But so that they see the Lord in their lives and the Lord is glorified and the people turn unto Him. And so the Lord Jesus is saying here, look, I'm the true vine. I am that vine that grapevine that has not gone astray unlike my own people i have been faithful and will continue to be faithful to my lord and the only way you're going to find yourselves faithful the only way you're going to find yourselves bearing fruit is if you remain in me his point is that you are always and ongoingly connected to me he's not talking about losing salvation He's talking about developing a relationship of intimacy with the Lord and a dependency upon him. So that by depending upon him, living for him, living with him, empowered by him, will produce the kind of fruit he produced himself. And what will the vine dresser do to enable us to produce this fruit? That's what the Lord Jesus goes on to say. He says, my father is the vine dresser, the husbandman, the gardener, And this is what he will do with you because you are the branches, he says later in the same section. This is what he will do with the branches. The first thing he says, take a look at verse 2. He cuts off every branch. That's a terrible translation in my opinion. It's the translation that the New International Version translators chose because if you go down to verse 6, they allowed verse 6 to influence how they translated verse 2. Verse 6 says, If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire. Because of that imagery, they translated the Greek word airo in verse 2 to mean cut off. But the word airo has four meanings to it. And the translation of cut off is the fourth of the four meanings. The first meaning and the primary meaning does not mean to be cut off. It means to be lifted up. To lift up. A second meaning is a figurative meaning. To lift up like one's eyes. So sometimes it says someone would lift up their eyes and they saw something. It's a figurative sort of translation of the word, but it's the second most common use of the word. A third one is to lift up to carry away. And the fourth one is to remove. What I think... Jesus is telling us, is not the fourth thing. What he does is cut off branches because that would be a terrible method for any vine dresser to use in order to produce fruit on the vine. Because if there is a grape vine that's not producing fruit, the first thing you do is not lop it off. That's the last thing you do because they're not producing fruit. The first thing you do is you lift it up. Why? Because if it's hanging down on the ground, it will not grow. Grapes don't grow on the ground like pumpkins or like squash. They grow up. That's why you need a, an arbor. So what I believed Jesus is saying is that those branches that do not bear fruit, the first thing the Father does is he lifts them up so that they can be exposed to the sun and to the light and thereby perhaps produce fruit. And that makes a lot of sense because what Jesus is saying is if there are people who are in me and they're not producing fruit, the first thing he's going to do is to lift them up unto himself. That is to say, he will cause them to become more devoted to him. Because devotion, consecration, commitment to him, is what will lead to the production of fruit. So the first thing we got to do is lift this vine up so that it gets off the ground, so it's closer to the sun, getting the rays of the sun so that it will grow. And what the Lord will do for us as we desire to grow more and more fruit, the first thing he does, he brings us unto himself. Because if he did the second thing, which he says to prune it, he doesn't even throw it away at this point, he's just pruning it. He's taking off the dead uh, branches. He's taking that away so that the energy in the vine can be used to produce new branches. So what does the Lord do in our lives? The first thing he'll do is he'll bring us closer to him. Second thing he will do is to bring circumstances in our lives to take away bad stuff from us, just as he prunes the bad branches from the vine. If it was reversed, that would be a problem. If the Lord takes away the bad stuff in our lives in order to make us bear fruit, the conclusion would be the way to bear fruit is by getting rid of the bad stuff in your life. And if you believe that goodness comes out of getting rid of bad stuff in your life, now the result is pride. Why do people look down on others who don't have as much good fruit? Because they think they have the good fruit, because they've done what it takes to have the good fruit. I've gotten rid of all the bad things in my life, and if you did the same thing, you'd be a better person too. But that's not what God, the Lord Jesus, says here. He tells us you don't produce bad fruit by getting rid of the bad branches. You produce good fruit by getting close to God by having the branches lifted up closer to the sun. And once we're closer to the sun, now the bad branches can be removed. Now the bad things in our lives can be removed because it's the work that God does in our lives by our consecration to him. And when you realize bad stuff is removed because of how God is working positively in our lives, you don't look down on other people. You're not judgmental of other people. You just begin to say, you know, you just need to move closer to the Lord. You need just to devote yourself to God more, more fully. You just need to consecrate yourself to Him. The Lord is the vine. We are the branches. The Father wants us to become disciples like none other. And those kinds of disciples He wants us to be are ones that bear not just fruit, but much fruit. And the way that we will bear much fruit is by be, remaining in Him. What does it mean to remain in him? It means to develop a close relationship with him. It means to have intimacy with him. How do you develop close relationship with him? You have to draw close to him. He has to lift us up to be in his presence. That means devoting ourselves to his word. And that phrase has become more and more intriguing to me when you speak about his word. I've been preaching back in Los Angeles where I left off here, Psalm 119. Not finished yet, but hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to say, I finally finished the psalm. They would appreciate that, I'm sure. But we're at Psalm 119, which is a psalm, right, 170-some-odd verses. Every verse has a reference to the Word of God, just about. And the more and more I've been immersing myself in that section, the more and more I am becoming um, just more alert or uh, having a deeper sense of the significance of God's Word as His Word. Not just as interesting stuff, which has always been something I've, I've... been intrigued by but it's his word to us it's his message to us it's, it is his voice to us and look what jesus says here of all things he says first of all he cuts every uh, excuse me he lifts up every branch and while every branch he then prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful takes away the bad stuff now look at this you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. By the way, that idea of taking away the bad stuff, it means to cleanse. That's what the word means. It's translated here, prunes. But it's kotharizo, which means to cleanse. And so when I make reference to taking away the bad stuff, I guess that's the negative way of saying the good thing, to cleanse us and to make us more, dare I say it, holy. you know, (laughs) And to make us more saintly. And by making us more... (laughs) cleansed more pure more holy look how he will do that he says it is by my word that you are cleansed i cannot emphasize enough if you want to bear fruit you've got to be drawn close to the lord you have to devote yourself to him and that means not only do we devote ourselves to him by be lifting up but then we need to submit to his work in our lives of cleansing so that we become a more holy people. And as a more holy people, we can bear much fruit. And that's why, as Julie said earlier, he goes on to say, without me, you can do nothing. But with him, he says, ask of me, and I will do anything you ask. Without him, we can't do anything. But as lifted up ones devoted to him cleansed ones by His Spirit, immersed in His Word, we ask anything, He will do it. Because what we will ask will come out of a devoted, cleansed, God-united heart, mind, and uh, concern. Isn't that kind of cool how this whole thing sort of just fits together? But I really love what I learned where the text tells us that He lifts us up unto himself. The elders will tell you at Beth Ariel Fellowship where I am. They went three years without a pastor. And, you know, during that time, they agonized. They had tremendous stress on their lives because they had this congregation on their shoulders. And these guys, you know, they just devoted themselves to keeping this thing afloat and moving it forward, and the congregation grew without a pastor. We just took in five new uh, members into the congregation. They have nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with what these guys have been doing over the past year or so and the years before. Completely devoted. But they will say this, and I was so moved by it, and I'm more deeply moved as I think about this passage. They said, the reason the Lord had not sent a pastor to them, because they had many applications and many people, but the Lord hadn't sent the person to them, it was they were not ready to receive him. And if you ask them why, they said we needed a wave of holiness to come upon us because we didn't realize how serious business it is to be overseeing the flock of God. Now that we had come to a point where we realized how important, how serious this was, we knew that God had to do a cleansing work in the elders' lives. And we're talking about their congregation. They were talking about them. And once God had touched their hearts and began a work of cleansing, which they said took nearly three years for them to deal with, it was only then that the doors began to open for Mary Lou and I to begin to come which was over the last year. It's very interesting when you, you can look back and the dominoes begin to line up. You know, when you're going through it, it's like, what is happening? Why? You know, why did our pastor? You know, talking about Los Angeles, why did he resign? Why did? You know, all these things begin to unfold. Now, as they look back, they say, you know, God was doing something with us all that time, and that's what the Lord says here: to bear much fruit and thus be the kind of disciples the Lord wants us to be. We have to be connected to him, remaining in him. That means to be connected to him. How do we get connected to him? It's like what Paul says in Romans 12. We are to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable before the Lord, which is our reasonable or spiritual act of worship. It begins by being lifted up. That's why worship is so important because there's an emotional lifting up that takes place in worship that ought to have a corresponding uh, spiritual experience where it's not just an emotional lifting up. Like when we sing here, I said to Bill, when we started, I said, Bill, Who's my tambourine, man? You know, I need my tambourine. I can't worship without my tambourine. And so I walked in there and I got the tambourine. Well, that's sort of like an emotional lifting up. But as I begin to experience that, my spirit starts coming with me. You know, it's sort of like, come on, let's go. And the spirit comes with me. And now I'm worshiping God, not just emotionally, but all of me is worshiping him. We need to be lifted up into God's presence. And thus, that ought to lead us to leave here saying, I'm devoting myself more and more. I know it's not going to be perfect, but I'm devoting myself to the Lord. And I'm going to consecrate myself and dedicate myself to him to live for him. And then in that context, we allow him to cleanse us of all those things that we need to have removed from us. And he does that by his word, as Jesus says here. And the more we immerse ourselves in his word, the more that cleansing work will happen in our lives. And when that cleansing work happens, not as a result of guilt, but as a result of the work of God in his gentle, loving way, we will bear much fruit. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples here on the eve of his death. And that's what he has told his disciples through his word throughout the generations since he has left us. Because in his absence, we are the branches that the world will see. And as the world sees these branches with much fruit, they say, where's the vine? And when we show them where the vine is, more importantly, who the vine is, they say, I've got to get onto that vine because I want to bear that fruit as well. So that is my prayer for my life, certainly our life, and our congregation back in Los Angeles, and certainly for our congregation here, that we still have a great love for and continue to pray for you guys. And it's wonderful to be here to visit with you, to share from God's word, to worship with you, and to see what God is doing here, even in our absence. You know, we keep up with uh, Justin's uh, updates. When I want to hear of all the young people, that, how it's growing, and young families, very exciting. And God is doing a work here as he is, well, all over the world, uh, not least of which in Laos and Pakistan as well. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. New Hope Chapel is a vibrant ministry in Arnold, Maryland. We are a Christ-centered church with biblically-based teaching, focused on the Jewish roots of the faith, and committed to helping each person discover and use their spiritual gifts. If you're in the area, we would love for you to come and visit. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org. Subscribe to the New Hope Chapel podcast on iTunes, and you'll get the next podcast in your sleep. Yeah.